Good morning. How's everyone doing? It's great to see you. It's great to hear from you on social media. We have a little bit of an opportunity to interact back and forth. How have you been holding up? You spiritually okay? Are you mentally okay? Physically? Uh, let us know. We want to pray for you. We want to be connected with you. We want to know how each of you are doing. Um, I miss worshiping with you. I miss being able to sing praises to Jesus in person, to be able to, oh man, I miss hugs, I miss high fives, I miss fist bumps, all of those kind of things, that social fellowship, being together, taking communion together, all of those things. I miss it, and I miss each of you. Uh, last week, we were able to talk through a few things about are you using this time? Are you growing in your faith? And asking questions about even what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And I hope that you've taken this time. Last week, I even encouraged you to be able to fast on Sundays. It's something that I'm doing every Sunday. And this is something that's actually very hard for me to do. Uh, fasting is not something that comes easy to me. Uh, I love to eat. I think about eating all the time. And... It's hard. In fact, last week I told you on the video that I was going to fast last Sunday and I sent a text to David about 2 p.m. Why did I tell the church I was fasting? Why didn't I tell them I'm starting next week? Uh, but it's something actually that I plan on doing every single Sunday until we come back and worship together. Uh, and I would encourage you to do the same. Fast with me. Let's do this as a church. Let's take this time to fast uh, to basically focus on God in those times when we're not eating and when we get hungry, that it helps remind us of who God is and that he's over us and that he's powerful and we can trust in him. And also, I'm trying to even step away from social media in those times and, and even the news a little bit to just kind of take a breather and reflect on all that God's doing in my life, in the lives of my family, and in your lives as well. It's actually really, in fact, taking a Sabbath, something that Pastors are in general terrible at doing, but something I would love for each of you to be doing on Sundays. Take some time away. Take some time to fast from a meal. I'm doing sun up to sundown on Sundays. Take some time to step away from maybe social media a little bit and the news and all of those things and just reflect on all God is doing. What's interesting is in this season, in this moment and pandemic that we're in, it's not something that I celebrate in any way, but similar to what we talked about last week, what is God using in this time to help you grow in your faith? It makes me think a lot of uh, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, right? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous. We know most, most of us know that story. And then there's a moment when finally Joseph is back on top, when his brothers are coming to Egypt for help, and they finally realize that Joseph's there and his brother, and they're afraid about what he's going to do. And this was Joseph's reaction. He said in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. This pandemic is not good. Terrible things are happening. Some of you have, your anxiety is up, stress is up. Some of you maybe actually have had COVID-19. If you've been sick, your health is down and you're worried about it. You're worried that you're gonna get it. It's not a good thing. But in that terrible thing, what good is coming from it? 
How are you using it to learn more about who you are and who God is? Use this time. Don't waste it. Don't lose it. And so something that we were doing and talking through last week is talking about the simplicity of following Jesus. And these questions of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Are we following Christ? Uh, What are we doing? And we talked a little bit about how kind of when you follow Jesus, there's some simple commandments that he gives us, right? The commandments would be like um, to be baptized, right? If you believe, he says to be baptized, And then he also tells us that when we gather together to share a meal and remember him, communion, the two kind of commandments that we follow as believers. But also, this idea of how do we live our lives, it's a simple thing, and we talked about it. Once you believe in Jesus, right, it's our faith that makes us right with Christ, but then how do we live? Once we believe in Jesus, how do we live our lives as Christians? And there's a moment when Jesus is asked, Uh, what's the most important commandment? It's recorded in multiple Gospels, but I love Luke, especially for the latter half that we're going to go into because he goes into greater depth. But Luke records it in Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. It says, One day an expert of religious law stood up to test Jesus. Right? He stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love that Jesus puts it back on this person. This person's trying to test Jesus, kind of trying to trap him, and Jesus puts it right back on him. How do you read the law of Moses, right? And the man answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Right? It's the importance, the greatest commandment. It's, Jesus says all the law and all the demands of the prophet are in these two commands. Loving God with all that you are and loving people, loving your neighbor. And so like I said last week, when you're deciding how should I do, what should I do, the decisions that you make, what job should I take, where should I go, what should I, how should I live, right? All of these life decisions, you can ask through that filter. Is it helping me love God more? Is it helping me love people more? And if it's doing those two things, you're probably getting it right. All of the law and all the demands of the prophets are in those two commands. And so what's amazing about this is those commands are simple, but they can also be costly. They're simple in the sense of like, it's not tons of crazy rules and things that you have like hoops to jump through, but that doesn't mean it's not costly. It doesn't mean it can't be hard while at the same time being simple. And so what I like about Luke is Luke now goes into much greater detail. And Luke actually... uh, The man asks Jesus, the man wanted to justify his actions, right? Verse 29. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? So if you're to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor, well, then who are you talking about? Is that everyone? Is it a specific group of people? Like, who do you mean exactly? Right? And Jesus replies with a story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him for dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along 
But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple worker assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. So contextually, it's not exactly the same, but it's kind of like Pastor Matt sees this Jewish guy or someone from the church is probably a better description, right? Uh, I see someone from the church on the side of the road and listen, I don't got time to deal with it. So I cross over to the other side of the road. And then you see Pastor David, right? A different temple worker, a different church worker, if you will. He sees someone at the side of the road and he says, I'm not going to deal with it. And he goes to the other side of the road. He's not going to deal with it, right? And then what's crazy, it says, then the despised Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, we've talked about this kind of at length. We've talked about even this specific story at length. But the Samaritans and the Jewish people did not get along. And I mean, did not get along at all. They thought they were less than, right? They were terrible people. They weren't getting it right in terms of religion. They were awful people. Don't associate with them. Don't talk to them. Stay away from them. They burnt, the Jewish folks burnt down the Samaritan temple. Samaritan folks had defiled the Jewish temple with bones on holy days. Like, you can't, you can't do that. That's so offensive. That's so offensive. They hated each other. It makes our political disagreements and thoughts pale by comparison. Probably the closest example, it's not a perfect example, but as Christians, right, it would be someone maybe of a different religion completely is the person who sees it. So in the story, like we talked about how the pastor walked by and didn't help the person, and then the other uh, church worker walked by and didn't help the person, right? But then maybe someone who is Muslim walks by or someone who is Buddhist walks by, or an atheist walks by. I mean, you pick the category. It's someone that would be unexpected, and of those Jewish people he's talking to, they were despised. But it says, a despised Samaritan, like he uses that descriptive word, comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. It's where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time that I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Now, when I read that, and I might be reading too far into the text, it feels to me like he's even unwilling to name the hero, the neighbor, as a Samaritan. Like, that's how much they were despised. Like, he says, who who was the one who was the neighbor? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Like, he doesn't even name the Samaritan but it's the one who showed him mercy. And he's absolutely right, though. He's right. The one who showed mercy is the neighbor. But I think Jesus is modeling something that in the simplicity of loving our neighbor, it's also costly. And we're called to love our neighbors, even the ones who live in a way that we don't agree with, 
who make decisions that we don't agree with, who are part of groups that we despise, that we don't like. He's saying, love all of them. Love God, love people. Love the Samaritan. Love the people around you who vote differently than you, that make decisions that you think are awful and terrible decisions. Love people. Simple, simple, but it can be costly. Simple, but it can be costly. And I think the one thing I want to talk about this morning for each of you is processing through loving our neighbors, but even what loving our neighbors means and the complication of that during a pandemic, during a time when we're all called to socially isolate. We're socially distancing in this season. So how do we love our neighbor? I read this quote, and I love this quote so much. It's a quote by Martin Luther. I'd read this at one of our Bible studies, for those of you that have been connecting to those on Fridays. But if you've missed it, there's a quote, and it's been pretty popular in this um, pandemic that's been going on because it was something that Martin Luther, the reformer, had written about during the plague, during a pandemic of their own, an outbreak of their own. And it's so apt. It feels like it could be written in 2020. Like it feels like he's writing this about right now and by like some wise Christian leader. And he was talking about how we should react to people around us and to the pandemic. And this is what he says. This is a quote. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. This is like he's talking to us today. Don't put yourself in positions that you're going to harm your neighbor. Don't put yourself in a positions where you could get the sickness and then make other people sick. We're going to take medicine, we're going to be as wise as we can, and we're going to socially distance. We're going to do what we're required to do. But then he does also say, If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but go freely as stated above. As believers, we have hope in not just life, not just this life, but the next life as well. We have hope that it's for now and for the future. And so we can care in a way that's much more compassionate. Do the people around you, do the people in your workplace, to the, your, your physical neighbors, your next door neighbors, to the people in your community, do they need help? Do they need food? Do they need grocery runs made? Do they need things like that? Then we can do that while still maintaining wisdom and social distancing, doing the things that the doctors are telling us to do and that our government is telling us to do. We can do those things and still be compassionate and active and caring for folks around us, but being wise being distant and not putting anyone in danger that we should put in danger. 
In my own household, we've decided as a family, because I interact with a few people and do a few things, not a lot of people, I'm social distancing, doing all that, but my mom, who's older, we have decided the most loving thing we can do is to have her stay in her apartment that's connected to our house, but we don't go down and interact. We're even social distancing from her, and we're doing it out of love and kindness. And I know that's my mom, so that extends into a family person. It's not just extended folks and neighbors that way, but it's, it's a strange time when the loving thing can feel like it's not loving. Like, I joke with some friends, if I was to tell them, you know, six months ago that I, my mom's in the apartment, but we don't go down and see her ever. We just kind of FaceTime sometimes to make sure she's okay, right? It would feel like we're abusing my mom, and yet it's the most loving thing, I think, that we can be doing right now, and we've decided that's what we want to do. And I think for each of us, kind of trying to balance those things out, it's a hard time. We miss each other, we miss friends and family, we miss neighbors, and it's a hard time, but we want to be wise and we want to be compassionate. And so in this season, in this time, as your pastor, I want to try to help you navigate loving your neighbor and reacting to things like what the government is telling us to do, and maybe at times having emotional responses to those things, or maybe even disagreeing with those things. Each of us have political opinions in general, at least church-wise. I tend to try to keep mine to myself. You don't tend to see me preaching too often politically or things like that. But I assure you, I do have my own opinions even as well. But as I've been doing that pastorally, I've been thinking through and I've been seeing the longer that this pandemic goes on and the longer that social distancing is going on, the more I'm seeing frustration and anger and fear and distrust and all of these things flare up on social media and things. And I just thought, looking a little bit at God's word, how can we be more loving and conscious of our neighbor? And how should we be reacting even to the government at this time? And what's amazing is there is actual scripture that talks to some of these things specifically. And again, what I appreciate we're going to be reading from Romans 13 here in a moment. And in Romans chapter 13, Paul is writing about Rome and a government, to be honest, that is not a great government. I would much rather live in 2020 in the United States than when Paul was in Rome, you know, 2,000 years ago wasn't a great system. And even within that, this is what he writes, Romans 13, 1-7. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So everyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. 
They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for the same reasons. For your government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. This is a hard passage to read when tempers are flaring and emotions are high. I think what's weird, or not weird's the wrong word, I think what's hard is in this season, at this moment, when there's fear, when there's confusion, when there's disagreement, I think Romans 13 still holds true. I think God is still calling us to listen to what our authorities are saying. And I hope I'm not stepping on toes and offending people here. But I know like on social media and even amongst some of my pastor friends, uh, there's a lot of thinking that there's a lot of religious persecution going on. And I want to speak to that specifically. Uh, I know a lot of folks that I interact with and see even posts of and things online. A lot of folks are saying there's tons of uh, religious persecution. We can't meet together. We can't worship together. And I just want to say, I feel like I've never had more access to government officials than I've had. I've been on phone calls with uh, Mandela Barnes, our lieutenant governor, multiple times where he's speaking directly to clergy in this state, talking about decisions that are being made. And I appreciate it. And I have the ability to even ask questions directly to him in this time. And even what we're doing now on social media, my voice is not being silenced. Christianity isn't being silenced. They're asking us not to meet together because they think, humbly, that they're making decisions that are in our best interests as citizens. And I think they're doing the best that they can. And what's pretty wild is the state of Wisconsin, which is uh, the leadership in terms of like the lieutenant governor and governor, uh, their plan is in line with the White House's plan, which is of a different political party, completely different political direction. And yet they're in line and they're trying to do what they feel is best. And whether we agree or disagree, and you're allowed to disagree. I think Paul gives us the perfect response of what we need to be doing as a church. And that comes, we're going to read 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. Paul writes, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Are you a Democrat? You need to be praying for Trump every single day. That he'll be making wise decisions, that he'll hear from the Lord, and that he'll lead well. Are you a Republican? You need to be praying for Trump every single day, that he'd be hearing from the Lord, that he'd make wise decisions, that he'd care for his people of his country every single day. Are you a Republican? You need to be praying for Evers. Evers? I always get that wrong. Our Governor Evers every single day. 
Are you a Democrat? You need to be praying for Evers. It doesn't matter what party you're in. And here's the deal. I feel the conviction. I feel the conviction on this because what I want to do is complain about how these people don't know what they're doing. And I could be doing better. And, <laughs> you know, knuckleheads could be doing better. <laughs> uh, it's frustrating and it's hard. And yet God tells us what to do. And he has people in authority. And we're to be praying for them. Praying that they're making wise decision in what is one of our nation's hardest moments. Let's pray for them. Pray for me even as your shepherd, if I'm honest. I covet your prayers. Pray for me as I try to make decisions about our church and the rest of the leadership of our churches. We try to make the right decisions even concerning our church and this pandemic season. It's a hard time. It's unprecedented. And I think as a church, as believers, if we want to love God and we want to love people, love our neighbor as ourselves, in this moment, we need to start praying for each other, helping each other out, and praying for our leaders. Can we do that? Can you pray with me right now? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us Help our leaders who are in charge. Help the doctors that are guiding and directing, that are giving advice. Help us to make decisions for our nation that are helpful, that are wise, that are smart. Decisions that you would have us to make. I pray that people in charge, whether it's people in charge of our country, whether it's people in charge of our state, I pray that they would hear your voice. I pray that they would have your wisdom. And I pray they would make decisions that help all people. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would make decisions to be more loving, to be more compassionate, to be more caring. I pray for us as individuals that we would do that as well. We love you, God, and we want to honor you. Help us to love people too. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to know the situations where you want us to step in and help where we need to go and help and physically be present, help us to know situations when the most loving thing to do is to actually stay away. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. We want to be a church that's strong, that's living out the greatest commandments. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We just pray this all in your holy name. Amen.